the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for Simple Truth Moments, hosted by Reverend Earl Clampett of Simple Truth Ministries, a weekly show dedicated to excavating God's Simple Truth Moments. Good morning, San Diego Saints. I am your host, Reverend Earl Clampett. Welcome to Simple Truth Moments, a unique type of broadcast with the goal to prepare the body of Christ for the momentous times in which we find ourselves. This program serves as a kingdom training platform, challenging church tradition, not with hostility, but with a view to assess the biblical validity of what is taught and lived. So put on your seatbelt for an enlightening journey of cultural context and a fresh way to more thoroughly comprehend the kingdom ways of God. Good morning again, San Diego Saints. Good to be back with you. We are uh, doing a series on a book um, entitled Homecoming, written by me and released uh, last year. And the uh, byline under the, uh, the title Homecoming is how the mystery of the New Covenant brings both in Jew and Gentile back to Abba Father. And last week, um, we were talking about um, how the process of the superior New Covenant, which was uh, Jesus Christ of Nazareth as the New Covenant, uh, was by the Holy Spirit being placed in our minds and written in our hearts, uh, consistent with uh, the promise that Father God made to the Hebrew people back in Jeremiah thirty-one, thirty-one through 34, when the Hebrews were uh, captives in uh, Babylon. And uh, we said, you know, you have to have New Testament affirmation for what we find in the Jewish Testament or the Old Testament, and uh, we covered that uh, last week's show, uh, saying that Hebrews chapter 8 and Hebrews chapter 10 uh, both have this process of this new covenant and how it was implemented by being placed in our minds and written on our hearts. And then we finished up the show last week with talking about Isaiah 66, um, chapter 66, verses 1 through 2, where God uh, the Father through the prophet Isaiah, is asking a question um, about this interior arrival, or call it a, a interior embodiment, or you can call it an interior indwelling. And if the new covenant is, is an inside job, as we described, um, being placed on our minds and in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, and Jesus is the new covenant, and again, I don't have time to review all that. If you're listening to that for the first time, you may want to go on the KPRZ podcast and check out the earlier shows. Um, Or you can go on um, my website, uh, www.simpletruthministries.net, and uh, go on to the media page. And we have all of the radio shows also placed, placed as well with their dates and titles. And I would suggest that you uh, go over um, those shows because um, there's a lot to it. And um, we are pointing out that this message um, that we're bringing is more along the lines of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven coming to earth, and and the change and the transformation that this kingdom, uh, as God's government, makes a change in us. And transportation becomes much less uh, an emphasis, and which, and what takes its place is another word, not transportation, but transformation, interior transformation of us from the inside out, and um, and we explained that you know as we participate in this process, that's why Paul says in Second Corinthians uh, chapter five, if any man, if anyone be in Christ, and notice the word in. Um, he is a new creature, or some say a new creation. And uh, that's the whole point, is to take on God's image, to take on God's likeness, and to manifest that 
um, to the world that doesn't know God personally, relationally. And that goes all the way back to Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 as far as our original design, our original design protocol. Um, It was all about uh, being in the image of God and taking on his likeness. And then uh, our assignment was to have dominion over the material creation. And we were supposed to manifest uh, the presence of God um, to others that don't know him. So, So what we're talking about is the process of this new covenant of Jesus being written in our hearts and minds. But what was the point? And last week we, we spent a lot of time, especially the second half of the show, talking about Isaiah chapter 6, I'm sorry, Isaiah chapter 66, verse 1 and 2, where Father God sets up the scenario where he says, heaven is uh, my throne. And notice he didn't say home. He didn't say that. He said, heaven is my throne. Earth is, earth is my footstool. Uh, where is the house or the home, some Bibles say, uh, that you will build for me or you will make for me? And we spent a lot of time on that, 30 minutes on the last show. And um, basically the idea was we shouldn't think about bricks and mortar and lumber and all the usual building materials that go into this type of edifice because we explained last week that Father God answered his own question in verse 2 of Isaiah chapter 66, where he said, But to this one will I look, who is humble and, um, and who trembles at my word. And he's basically talking about uh, a person. And God the Father actually wants to indwell, not just be with, but rather be in his created progeny, his created children. And we spent a lot of time talking about the differences between with and the, and the preposition in. And, it, and the fact that it's, it's basically the new covenant being written inside of us, placed on our minds and written in our hearts, that's an inside job. That's what we mean by uh, a deep, profound uh, relationship with the Godhead at a completely different level. And um, so I wanted to talk today. We have to um, deal with a couple of chapters in this book. I, After I talked about the Superior New Covenant, um, there are two chapters that follow the Superior New Covenant in the book Homecoming. And one is called, this is actually chapter 8, Gentile sacred cows that we have to deal with if, if this one new man of Ephesians chapter 2 with both Jew and Gentile with a mutual father and a mutual enemy and a mutual Messiah is actually going to work. Um, Paul calls it a mystery, and we're watching it unfold right in front of our eyes, uh, reserved for such a time as this. And um, And I point out that Look, if this one new man or one new humanity in Messiah, which is Ephesians two seven, uh, I think two fifteen, is going to take place, where Jesus comes and knocks down the wall of enmity that separates Jew and Gentile, um, and then three verses later in Ephesians two eighteen, we talked about that being the preposition um, declaration. And that verse says, basically, it's by the Holy Spirit through the Son, so by being a preposition, that's the Holy Spirit, and then through is the second preposition, the Son, we come back to, there's the third preposition, and it doesn't say heaven, it says, comes back to the Father, because he was the goal all along. We weren't taught that as Catholics. We were not taught that as Protestants. We were taught the goal was a place, that that was eternal life. And what we have spent the last several weeks on is to explain eternal life as a relationship, as we see in John 17, 3, which is to, and this is what Jesus says to his apostles the night before he died. He says, and this is eternal life. That's how he starts off the sentence. So you can't get more clear than this. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, 
the one true God, referring to the Father, and Jesus Christ, whom you sent, referring to the Son. So, and we talked about the fact that if, if it's relational, eternal life is relational as opposed to relocational, um, when can eternal life be experienced? And we talk about, well, if it's a relationship, we can experience right now. We can experience that right here and right now. And that's the point. Yes, you can. And that's when it's supposed to begin is right here and right now, not wait until we die and waiting to go someplace. And so going back to these two chapters, again, talking about this Ephesians chapter 2, if we're going to bring one new man together, both Jew and Gentile, um, coming through the Messiah, Jesus, to know the Father, well then, we have to basically look at our individual camps, the Gentile camp, the people of the nations, and the Hebrew camp, the Jews, and say, you know what, if this is ever going to actually come to maturity and actually occur in reality, both camps have to take an honest look at themselves, bring out the mirror, and say, you know, each side has some sacred cows that are based on religion, based on man-made rules in many cases, and um, if this is separating what God intends to bring together, as we see in Ephesians chapter 2 and 3, and also in Galatians chapter 2 and 3, and also in Romans chapter 9 and chapter 10 and chapter 11, I mean, it's all over. Well, then we have to, I mean, when I say it's all over, it's all over the Bible. I mean, there's several chapters that talk about this one new man experience. And um, this is the way the enemy is defeated. When Jew and Gentile join forces and say, wait a minute, we have a mutual Messiah, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, what they say is Yeshua HaMashiach, that means Jesus the Messiah, and we're coming to Avinu. Avinu is the Hebrew for our father. And so it's this family reunion. It's this family of separated children who are coming together under a banner of one new man, and Paul called it a mystery, but we think it's unfolding. And this blueprint is becoming very clear uh, what God intends to do in this time, in this season. But there are some obstacles. And so I talk about that in chapter 8, talking about the Gentile sacred cows that have to be uh, slain, and then also in chapter 9, the Jewish sacred cows that have to be addressed and slain, if this is going to uh, somehow come off. So one of the uh, things that I wanted to talk about was one of the Gentile sacred cows in uh, chapter 8 of the Homecoming book. Um, It's listed as the sixth in in a list of about 10 sacred cows that Gentiles have to take care of, but it's, it's listed as mansions. In fact, that's the title of this, um, this teaching, and it is, um, the question is, mansions in heaven or dwelling place of God or dwelling place in God? And we were all taught, irrespective of our backgrounds, or whether we were Catholics or Protestants, that uh, John 14, 2, where Jesus says, announces, this is at the Last Supper, that um, he is departing from the apostles, because this is the night before he died, and looking at John 14, 2, it says, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. Now, that translation, mansions, if you look it up in Webster's, it's usually going to refer to an imposing residence or house, um, a large imposing house. And, you know, you hear about people talking about their golden mansion in the sweet by and by, and, you know, it has a silver driveway and it's made out of gold, etc. But if you look at the context of not just the whole chapter 14, but also throw in, for good measure, all of John 15, all of John 16, 
and all of John chapter 17. So we got 14, 15, 16, and 17. Those four chapters in John, you're going to see, but what Jesus is explaining to the apostles has nothing to do with mansions in heaven. He's talking about something radically different. I want to read to you John 14, 2, um, in, the, in the Complete Jewish Bible by David Stearns. Uh, notice he doesn't say, in my Father's house are many mansions. Um, he says, in my Father's house are many places to live. If there weren't, I would have told you, because I am going to prepare a place for you. Since I am going and preparing a place for you, I will return to take you with me, so that where I am, you may be also. Furthermore, you know that where I'm going, you know where I'm going, and you know the way there. And of course, Thomas says to him, he says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How could we know the way? And of course, John, the famous verse in John fourteen six says, I am the way, I am the truth, and the life. No one comes, and he doesn't say to heaven. This is really important. This is in the context of what are we talking about when Jesus says, in my Father's house are many places to live. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Notice what he says. No one comes to the Father except through me. Because you have known me, you will also know my Father. You see what the emphasis is on here? And from now on, you do know him if you know, in fact, you have seen him. And then Philip, of course, asks, Philip the Apostle in verse 8, he says, Lord, show us the Father and it will be enough for us. And Jesus replied to him, have I been with you so long without your knowing me, Philip? Whoever has seen me, check this out, has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe, and on the New King James it says, don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Now notice he said "Am in. I am in the Father and the Father is in me. So that sounds like dwelling. It sounds like abiding. That sounds like residing. That sounds like domiciling. In other words, <laughs> you're living in a person. Now notice, uh, I want to go down to John 14, verse 20. It says, I'm reading now the New King James, and or at that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me. And I in you. There are three times the preposition in shows uh, show up in the chapter 14, verse 20. I'll read it again. At that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. And it goes on to 1421. Well, how does this happen? How does this occur? He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. Manifest, reveal, show, put on display. But check, on, check out the next uh, verse in 1423, two verses later. Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Now again, we, I'm not going to go into what we talked about last week, that, that Jesus is the word. Um, that's explained in great detail in the uh, teaching from last week. But that's listen to where this is going. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. Okay. Now there's a comma there. And where are we? We're in John 14, chapter 14, verse 23. 
There's a comma there and said, my, and my father will love him. Now notice, we and we, that's a capital W, meaning both the father and the son, will come to him and make our home with him. That is what you call united to, united with. You've come together. They're going to make their home in us as vessels, sons and daughters of the Most High God. That's about as deep as you can get when you're talking relationship. And we talked much about uh, on last week about Revelation chapter 3 when uh, verses 20 and 21 where Jesus is standing um, at the door of our heart and knocking. And if anyone hears his voice and, and uh, arises and opens the door, uh, he, Jesus, will come in and dine with him and him with me. And we pointed out that um, that was very cons- consistent with John fourteen two, or uh, where it says, "In my Father's house are many dwelling places." If it were, if it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going to to prepare a place for you. And if John fourteen three it says, "And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. For where I am, there you will also be." So, this is talking about an experience, a relational experience of us inviting the Godhead to indwell us. And it answers the question in Isaiah 66, verses 1 and 2, where Father God is saying, let me get it here real quick, here it is. I'm going to read out of the New King James. Thus says the Lord, where am I reading? Isaiah 66, verses 1 and 2. Heaven is my throne, and earth is my footstool. Where is the house you will build for me? And we talked about that last week. And where is the place of my rest? And we talked about the fact that God evidently, even though he's the creator of heaven and earth, is not at rest yet because there is not a house that we have built for him where there will be rest between God and man. And that's because our will blends in with his will, and they are no longer in contention. They are no longer at cross purposes. And then Isaiah 66, 2 is where he answers his question, where's this house that you will build for me? You will build it. And where's the place of my rest? And in Isaiah 66, 2, it says, For all these things my hand has made. He's talking about the heavens and the earth. And all those things exist, where he referred to that in verse 1. But he answers the question, Where is the house and of that you will build for me? And where is the place of my rest? In the second half of verse 2. But on this one will I look, on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit, and who trembles at my word. He's talking about human beings. He's talking about his children. And that's what's being explained in the context of Isaiah chapter 14, verse 2. It's not talking about mansions in heaven. It's talking about God the Father asking his human children, basically revealing He is searching. He is looking for a place of rest. And we are the houses, the dwelling places, the domiciles, the residents. And when you put it in that context, all of a sudden this walk, starting with Jesus and ending up with the Father, all implemented by the Holy Spirit, become, takes on a whole different dimension, takes on a whole different perspective. So I want to read to you uh, from page 185. This is under the subsection of Gentile sacred cows. The subsection is uh, sacred cow number six, which is mansions. Uh, the belief that the reason that Jesus came to earth was so that, so, was so that when we die, 
we get to go to heaven and live in a large mansion. Is a Gentile sacred cow, it's a myth that we, as good Greek Westerners, invented. It's not the context of John 14, nor is it the context of John 15, No, nor is it the context of John, uh, John chapter 16, nor is it the context of John chapter 17. Those four chapters are all talking about God indwelling us as their home. John 14, 23, we, says Jesus, the Father and I, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, you'll keep my word, and we will come and make our home with them. Wow. So when we come back from the break, we're going to be talking about what, whether this was a good translation by the King James um, in translators, interpreters, back in the 16th century. Was Mansion really the context of what Jesus was talking about? See you after the break. Welcome back, San Diego Saints. So, we are exploring the question this morning from the book Homecoming, how the mystery of the New Covenant brings both Jew and Gentile back to Abba Father, written by yours truly. And we are in a chapter which is the follow-on to talking about how the superior New Covenant, which is Jesus Christ of Nazareth, as a person being literally by the Holy Spirit uh, placed in our minds and written on our hearts. And that was, we, we connected those dots by saying that was Jeremiah 31, uh, 31 through 34, which is the new covenant promised to the Hebrews. And we connected the dots by saying, Father God talked to Jesus on two occasions, once in Isaiah chapter 42 and again in Isaiah chapter 49, telling the Father telling the Son, you son, are the new covenant. And we drew in the previous show a lot of connections about this whole, um, when we um, honor Holy Communion, when we take communion at our services, um, we basically are reenacting, and this is why we always use, um, we typically use uh, 1 Corinthians 11 to walk through that. First um, Corinthians 11, let me go to here real quick, is something that will typically be used uh, by the, the pastor uh, who is walking the people through that. And, um, and this is Paul explaining to the Corinthians what the Lord's Supper was all about the night before he died on Passover. And uh, looking at verse 23 in First Corinthians 11, he says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Where is the new covenant mentioned? Well, in the very next verse. Look at verse 25. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is is the new covenant. And notice the words there. Very specific. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. It's a blood covenant. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The can't be more clear that the new covenant is actually a person. It's not an it it's not a what, it's actually a who. So we went over that last week, and if you want to hear that more about that show, it's also in the last couple of weeks uh, explaining how Jesus himself is the superior new covenant, and it's the Holy Spirit who writes Jesus um, in our minds and places him on our hearts. But we're now asking the question, to what end? What's the point of all this? Where's this going? And that's what we were talking about in last week's show and also in the first half of this show about Isaiah 66, um, uh, ver, uh, Isaiah chapter 56, verses 1 and 2, at where God the Father specifically through the prophet Isaiah is identifying 
what he is accomplishing. What is he trying to do? We lost Father God in the fall in the garden. We didn't lose heaven. He's restoring our Father God is restoring our relationship through his blueprint by sending his son, yes, as the son of God, but also in human form as son of the man. And that's what we said was messaging to the fallen angels that he had never, he got, Father God has never changed his mind about putting us back in charge of the material creation. And uh, we're not going to get into that right now. We just want to basically point out that the whole purpose of Jesus coming was to reconcile us back to our Father. Um, There's a a couple of good references um, where we can see that in um, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Uh, one talks about this new covenant. Um, Paul's writing to the Corinthians, and he says to the Corinthians, you're our epistle or letter written in our hearts, known and read by all, mean, all means. And look, I'm sorry, read, <laughs> known and read by all men. And then verse 3, clearly you are an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink. But see, people say, well, where does it say that the Holy Spirit's writing Jesus as the new covenant? Uh, into our hearts and minds. It's right here. But by the Spirit, that's a capital S of the living God, uh, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh. That is the heart. Okay, and then it says in verse 6, as we go um, a little further in Second Corinthians 3, he also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. That's a capital S. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Okay, so um, that is the dynamic of how the New Covenant is placed inside of us. And I wanted to go to 2 Corinthians 6 and talk about this indwelling to answer God's question, going back to Isaiah 66, 1 and 2, where's this house you will build for me? So let's check out 2 Corinthians chapter 6, starting at verse 16. And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? That's a question mark. For you, this is Paul writing to the Corinthians, you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, quote, I will dwell, get this now, in them. This is Paul, New Covenant, explaining this embodiment goal of God, this indwelling goal of God. He doesn't want to be with man as he was with Adam and with Eve in Genesis 1 and 2. He wants to go a lot more deep, a lot more intimate, a lot more profound. He wants to live in us. And that's why it's a superior new covenant. It's no longer with them. It's in them. So check this out. For you are the temple of the living God. And as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk amongst them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. So you see, the indwelling is a precursor to a relationship. If you want to have eternal life, which is knowing God, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom we sent, which is uh, John 14, uh, chapter, um, verse, John chapter 14, verse 3, that's the definition of eternal life. Now notice, he's looking for a dwelling place. He's looking for a place in which to live. And here's Paul saying, you, for you are the temple of the living God. I'm going to check this out in the, in the uh, complete Jewish Bible and see how David Stearns uh, talks about translating that word. So we're going to go to 2 Corinthians. Yeah, let's see how he re- opens it up. So he says in verse... 16, what agreement can there be between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, listen to this. This is even more full of explanation, explanatory. Check this out. 
I will house myself in them, and I will walk amongst you. I will be their God, and they will be my people. Okay? So let's go on to the next verse. Looks Looks at verse 17. Therefore, Adonai says, Go out from their midst, separate yourselves, do not even touch what is unclean, then I myself will receive you. Now, this is Father's Day coming up. Check this out. What's this relationship going to be called? Look at verse 18 in Second Corinthians chapter 6. In fact, I will be your father, and you will be my sons and daughters. That's what you call coming full circle. The Bible story is a family reunion story. It's not about leaving our inheritance of earth, not coming back with Jesus back to earth to rule and reign. It's, we're not going to spend eternity in heaven. People say, well, why are you anti-heaven? I said, I'm not anti-heaven. I love heaven. When I die, I want to go to heaven, for the record. Okay, But I don't want to stay there. Because there are all kinds of verses that say we're coming back with Jesus when he is going to ultimately set up his kingdom, his government, if you will, back on earth and basically kick out literally the hell out of the earth because it's been overtaken by fallen angels who happen to be very upset with God for having put man in charge in the first place over the material creation, as we see in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. People, if you, if you see the struggle and the battle in the context of what God sees as important, and ironically as what Satan as the fallen angel also sees as important, then we'll understand the Bible as a family reunion circular coming back home to Father God through his Son, by his Spirit, and that's eternal life in the here and the now, right here and right now. You can experience relationally God in this depth to this degree. It's so much more of a superior new covenant than the Old Covenant. Father God set it up when he promised this to the Hebrews when they were in uh, captivity in Babylon through the prophet Jeremiah, Jeremiah 31, 31. In that day, I will make a new covenant with my people. And basically he's saying, I will put my law into them. And then we have Jesus saying, I didn't come to do away with the law. You're looking at it. He says, I've come to fulfill it in in, uh, Matthew 5, 17. You're looking at the law fulfilled. You're looking at the law when you see me as complete. And our unfortunate Gentile um, theology, since we disconnected from our Hebrew roots 2,000 years ago, it's like building a ship with no rudder, no Hebrew rudder, and it's any wonder that many of our Gentile ships have ended up, because they did not have a rudder, we have all of these doctrines, all of these denominations, all of these divisions, all of these separations, and the one thing that would unite us is our Hebrew foundation, which says, wait a minute, we lost God, we need to get God back. The Bible is no more complex than that. That's why I call this ministry Simple Truth. We make it so much more complicated and complex than it needs to be. People understand families because you've always been a part of a family. Think about it in your human experience. Either you were a child or as you got older and let's say you got married and now you're a husband and, and, uh, or a wife and then, and then when you raise kids, now you're a parent and then they go off, and then they start their own families. Now your role changes again in the family, and now you become a grandparent or a great-grandparent. My point is the nuclear family was established in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, and that was God's blueprint. 
and he's never changed. It doesn't matter what the confused culture tells you, okay? What is we to be understood is that all of this is being restored. God's going to finish what he started. And just because man messed it up in Genesis 3 by listening to the suggestions of a fallen angel about the nature and character of Father God, um, he has never changed his blueprint. So it's so important that we can really understand that as we allow this new covenant of Jesus being placed in our hearts and written uh, in our minds by the Holy Spirit as living letters, living epistles. Well, what's happening is there's, a, there's an obsession of God to indwell his children, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And as that happens, look what's, what's being set up. In verse 17 of what we just read in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, he's saying, come out from among them. Don't touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. Verse 18, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Wow. There it is. Family. Reunion. Back with Father. And it comes about because... Paul saying, you're the temple. Do you guys realize that you are the temple of the living God? That's in verse 16 of 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And then God says, I will dwell in them. Not five miles away. Not, oh, you're down below me and you know you can't even see. He says, I will dwell in them and walk amongst them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. What's that talking about? It's talking about belongingness. Who do we pertain to? Do we recognize the spirit that we are of? Of means belonging to. Well, you're, are you saying we belong to God? Yeah. Why? It says very clearly that we were bought with a price. And what was that price? It was every drop of blood of the Son who came down, not to take us to heaven, but to redeem us to the Father, to bring us back to the Father. That's what we lost in the fall. I know I sound sometimes repetitious, but we, I have to go over this over and over because we've had so ingrained in us a Gnostic gospel that calls God a liar. Here we have God at the end of Genesis chapter 1 looking over everything he made after the completion of the, of the sixth day. And he says, he comments on what he just finishes, and he says, it wasn't just good, but rather it was very good. That was talking about Everything he just created in the first six days. Seventh day, he rested. And we have a Gnostic gospel. Um, Unfortunately, when we took the Jewish gospel out into the Greek world, the Greek philosophical world, and the Roman Empire, and it was all Western paganism and and Greek philosophy with their Greek gods and their Greek thinking, and we tried to blend a Hebrew message into a Greek-Roman world. And it didn't work. We've been trying to combine those two. And it just doesn't function or operate because you can't put square pegs into round holes. I, I oftentimes describe the, the Bible as a Hebrew circ, circular story or a Hebrew cyclical story because a cycle is circle, circu, uh, circular in nature. And... And I'm a Westerner. Hey, I mean, I was—I grew up with Western civilization. I understood the, my goodness, I have 16 years of former, formal Catholic education all the way through my undergraduate college degree. But I've been 47 years a Protestant. So I've been taught in both Western camps, so to speak, but it's the same message. It's a Western linear Greek thinking trying to overlay uh, like with a, can you imagine if you had a circle, like a compass, um, that they use in drafting class? And you took a circle, and then you took, the teacher said, I want you to interpret this circle. 
And I'm going to give you a tool to interpret what a circle is, where it begins and where it ends, and the shape it makes you know, as you draw that. And in order to interpret this circular story, I'm going to give you a 12-inch uh, straight-line ruler, and I want you to overlay it and put it on top of that circle. And you tell me what that circle means by using this straight-line ruler. You would look at that instructor and say, excuse me, sir? What you're asking me is not only incoherent, but it's also incongruous. It can't, you can't explain a circle with a straight line. But that's what we've tried to do. We've taken a Hebrew circular story, and in the New Testament, disconnected from our Hebrew roots, we've tried to say, oh, but it's really, even though our Messiah is Jewish— <laughs> The apostles were Jewish. The, uh, the, the whole uh, prophet system of the Old Testament was Jewish. The writings were Jewish. The law was Jewish. The promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were Jewish. The patriarchs were Jewish. The message was Jewish. But when it comes to the New Testament, we hand out Bibles that only has one-third of the book. And we say, hey, this is an amazing book called the Holy Bible. Don't read the first two-thirds because it no longer applies. That would, be, that would be like me as a real estate agent. If you're looking for a home, a domicile, a place to live, and you came into my office, my real estate office, and I have this big color book of all kinds of photographs of properties that are available for sale, and I bring them out to you and I lay them out, and but when I'm showing you page after page in color, color photographs um, are nothing but roofs, roof of a house. Would you look at me askance with your head kind of tilted to one side like a, a, like a dog does when they hear a funny noise and they always kind of have that crooked look on their, you know, to their neck, the twisted in the neck, and they're looking at you like, what? What's that, what's that strange? What's that strange concept you're trying to show me? They would probably say to you, as, mis, as Mr. Real Estate Agent, saying, I came in here to have a home, a dwelling place, a house, a domicile, a residence in which to live, and you're showing me a roof. I can't live only inside of a roof. I need a foundation. Well, that's, that's what Ephesians chapter 2 talks about. God is building a building, but it's got a foundation to it. It's got Jesus Christ as the cornerstone. Well, a cornerstone is the beginning of the foundation. It sets the whole framework. And the apostles and the prophets, all Jews, by the way, are the foundation. Paul says that in many places in his letters. He says, hey, I'm not a Gentile. I was, I was raised in a Gentile town, but I was educated in the synagogue by one of the best rabbis that ever came down the line, a guy named Gemaliel. And he says, hey, I am a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin. He said, he said I, he, God, Paul never walked away from his Jewishness. He understood that his job was to take a Jewish Hebrew message to a Gentile world that really couldn't connect until Paul was given the assignment to connect the dots. And the dots didn't include getting rid of a foundation when you're looking to buy a home and only ending up with a roof. And that's what we have tried to do for 2,000 years. And unfortunately, all of these ships that we built that we're going to take out to the world, the gospel, and we've limited it. We say the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, that's part of it. Yeah, absolutely. But it's actually, Jesus didn't call it that. He called it the gospel of the kingdom. The kingdom of God, it's kingdom, it's a government returning back to its original place of location. And see, we have been on the wrong road, we're going in the exact opposite. If, if, if God said go north, we've been heading south. 
And those ships that went, went out that were supposed to, can you imagine all these wooden vis- vessels being beautiful ships going out, sent out to the New World to take the gospel, okay? And then in the shipyard, every one of those Christian ships that were sent out were missing one part of the ship. And that part was the Hebrew rudder of the ship. Or in other words, if you're talking about a house instead of a ship, we took out the foundation and we just sold the roof. And you wonder why the church is in this time and season not influencing the culture. We've lost our witness because we don't even understand our roots. We have Hebrew roots to this Judeo-Christian experience. Without those Hebrew roots, there is no Christianity. There is no Christianity. And for us to try to disconnect those two, which we've been doing for the last 2,000 years, it doesn't work. And that's why we're going to spend some time on Ephesians chapter 2 and 3. If you're listening to this broadcast on a regular basis, that's your homework. Check out Ephesians 2 and 3, written by Paul. Then go over to the book of Galatians and read there, Galatians 2 and 3. And then go to Romans 9 and 10 and 11. And look up look about that experience of being wild branches grafted onto the root, grafted, be, grafted onto the tree trunk. It's a very different experience, and this is what God's doing in this season. And we can't miss this because we're stuck in our church tradition. Put on your seatbelts. We're going to take a journey. I hope you have many simple truth moments in this week coming up. And we will see you. Have a great Father's Day. God bless you. Thank you for spending your time with us excavating God's Simple Truth Moments. For more information and resources, visit simpletruthministries.net. That's simpletruthministries.net. To contact Simple Truth Moments, email me at earlsimpletruth at gmail.com. That's earlsimpletruth at gmail.com. So until next time, may God richly reveal his Simple Truth Moments to you. You've been listening to Simple Truth Moments. Join Reverend Earl Clampett for another episode next Sunday at 11 a.m. right here on K-Praise. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.